I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Treehouse, episode 19. Thank your lucky stars. With Danny Baker and me, Louise Pepper. Uh, a, a great swathe of our audience mm. will have just gone, you mean Keith Fordyce? And I'll just leave that there, Peps, with Keith Fordyce and uh, uh, Kathy McGowan. There's thank you, lucky stars. Very oh, good morning going... to everybody. Uh, and, and, and normally here I launch into a... By the way, very good morning to everybody. Here we go again with another two hours of fun for old and young without the slightest hint of vulgarity. I'm going to put our regular music on in the back. Uh, that sounded too lightweight. Uh, so uh, normally I say, oh, and this happened, and mm. how about this, Peps, and all of that. But look, today, thin. No. For today and tomorrow. Valentine's Day. And tomorrow, thin. Thin. Uh, for instance, uh, and I, I have a very archaic site. OK. Uh, in, in, the word archaic, define that. Old. No. No, uh, it's... Uh, uh, Old-fashioned? There's, there's, a, there's a very good joke. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm being very unfair to you here, Peps. Uh, uh, there's an old joke where a kid is asked to put the word archaic into a sentence. He says, yes, I can do that, miss. We can't have archaic and eat it. <laughs> it's, it's a tremendous... I think that's enough entertainment, actually. We'll see you again on... <laughs> so, uh, uh, anyway, uh, this rather archaic site that doesn't do all the usual things of... Uh, Anniversaries and all of mm-hmm. that. It's, so, but this is how thin a day it is. The show's going to be fat. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, this is huge, greasy old show. But um, uh, the actual anniversaries thing in in today in music, right? Okay. In 1813, composer Alexander Damos- Damoshevsky, right? Mm-hmm. Alexander Damoshevsky was born in 1813, and the next entry on the page was 1964. Chad and Jeremy <laughs> guested on the Patty Duke show. <laughs> now that's thin. From 1813. No, oh, Chad and Jeremy, yeah, Rubber Ball and all that. They was, oh, they, Rubber Ball. Okay, they did right, a, yeah, they yeah, did yeah, a, yeah. Okay. They did a rubber, uh, yeah. Anyway, so um, but they weren't they weren't even Peter and Gordon, and uh, <laughs> but they guested on the Patty Duke show. Nothing music. And before happened. that, Alexander. Damoshevsky uh, was, but but then uh, uh, a little. Obviously, I could have gone with Sir Arthur Aston. Sir oh, Arthur Aston. Uh, he was a. Uh, one of the last remaining royalists after the defeat in the English Civil War. Stay with this, everyone. It kind of picks up. Uh, uh, and he was one of the last when he fled to Ireland after uh, Cromwell's victory. OK. But Cromwell, of course, pursued him there. And uh, here's the thing about Sir Arthur Aston. Uh, there was a siege which he refused to uh, give in to. Mm-hmm. And it was rumoured he had diamonds hidden in his wooden leg. Oh! So uh, once the siege was broken, 
They broke, broke in, took his wooden leg off, found it to be hollow, and beat him to death with his own wooden leg. With and I just thought that's not, you know, that's that's. I know. Look at your face. They beat him to death with his, with his own, own wooden, wooden leg. leg. If you know Tommy Cooper's "Don't Jump Off the Roof, Dad," I think the B side of it. He says how his wife is cruel to him, and uh, often uh, she can't find her own false teeth. Uses his, and when she announces she's leaving him, and she left him, she said she was leaving me, and she laughed in my face, laughed at me with my own teeth. <laughs> And that's pretty much Sir Arthur Aston. He was beaten to death. And I'm sorry. If Tarantino did that, you'd go, oh, come off it. Well, it's kind of in the film Waterloo. Uh, kind of. I don't know the again. It's about Is that the one that starts at the, at the sort of the ladies' ball the night before and all of that? Well, you got me there. Yeah. Maybe it does. It probably does. But okay. uh, in uh, I think it's Christopher Plummer sitting on a horse. And I think Apocryphal just about covers this, but he's standing with one of his, sitting on a horse next to his general watching the, uh, the battle. And there's a cannon shot, and it and it takes away one of the legs of the generals who doesn't flinch. And apparently, this is if you look this up afterwards. Uh, uh, Wellington said, "My God, sir, you've lost a leg." And he said, "My God, sir, so I have." <laughs> right now, that's that. If that nothing more British, and in the film it's presented, <laughs> I think so I have. That, that must have been the inspiration for the Pythons, meaning a life <laughs> sketch when uh, oh, nothing flesh wound and all of that. Um, <laughs> So, but the thing, and we're going to start the show instanter. Mm. If I can find the right sound effect, I might have to. Yeah, today. Followed by... The telephone was patented. Alexander Graham Bell, and people, you know, where there's a hit, there's a ritz. A lot of people say it wasn't. <laughs> but he, he got in with the telephone today. When you when you did the, uh, the old dial phone the other week, yeah. someone on Twitter, and I didn't catch their name was so intent on listening that they insisted it was their phone number really? because he knew oh, the, length of, the length that of the return. That is clever. Let's, 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 let's have a listen to Sorry, this. old chap, whoever on, it was. Oh, that's an eight. Yeah. That's an eight. Five. Eight. Eight. Seven. No. Oh, no, I've lost it now. Yeah. There's too many. You'd have only ever done seven uh, because there'd have been no O one and all of that then. Well, yeah, yeah, our old phone number was five, five digit. You can't have been. Yeah, and I can't when say did, when were you born? Nineteen o three. What did because it still is. Well, you had the you had the code. Yeah, but if you were local, it was. Did you? Yeah, it's five numbers. No, because my. A... I can't do any of these numbers because my mum and dad. Could <laughs> I can say Auntie Heather was two five zero. Well, Alexander Graham, so we're going to get the, the show, which, I mean, there's a welter here. Phil's looking sad. I'm glad I'll print all these out, show <laughs> after show no after time show. For them. Uh, but, um, uh, so Alexander Graham... Will you Bell answer that? ...today. Uh, I know it is. So Alexander Graham Bell today. Mm. Um, uh, 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 he vended the telephone by accident. It was, was a, it was a by-product because his wife and his mother were both profoundly deaf and he was working on listening devices oh. and thought, well, we could use that for that, I suppose... Uh, and, and yes, and, and that's exactly what he did. He um, invented it by accident. It wasn't so uh, indifferent that he didn't leg it down the patent <laughs> office straight away, but that's what he this did. This old thing. And uh, uh, he also invented, with a couple of other people, how about this? The hydrofoil. 
How many films have you seen with an exciting hydrofoil uh, chase through the Everglades? There's your Alexander Graham Bell. Yes, he did. He invented the hydrofoil. I've been on one of those looking at alligators. I, I didn't have. know it was it was next to the telephone in his things to do list, and he invented uh, the the, uh, the hydrofoil. Uh, the other thing before we get down to. Mm-hmm. But we won't get it down to anything, will we? Uh, uh, he had no middle name. Now, he's known as Alexander Graham Bell, but his name is Alexander Bell. And as a child, and by the way, he invented his first uh, invention like at 10. His friend Ben's dad ran a granary and he invented a machine to take off husks. Oh, <laughs> Anyway, it worked. But uh, all he wanted was a middle name. And he used to literally say to his uh, dad, Dad, I just need a middle name. And his dad gave him one on his 11th birthday. Oh. He said, you can be Graham then. Imagine getting a middle name for your birth. You'd be well, a little, a little underwhelmed. Because you, well, you haven't got one, but have you hankered for one? I think hankered is too strong a word. OK. I'm not sure the next one down in the list after <laughs> hanker is. I've certainly pondered whether I could. <laughs> On the show once in a misguided moment, I did say, uh, if someone comes up with a good one, I will change it by deed poll. But I, I won't lie to you, I may have had a couple of drinks when I said that. <laughs> but um, anyway, Alexander Graham Bell, on his 11th birthday, his parents said, guess what we got you? And he said, you haven't had my hydrofoil realised, have you? <laughs> no, no, no. we got you this. And he unwrapped it. And it was a key ring with Graham on it, and they said, that's you. And and went, he couldn't have been more pleased, apparently. Could went, not. Graham? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. He didn't see when I said Aspro or something like that. Uh, but anyway, that, that that's all to be said about on this day. What, you, what are we doing today, Peps? Well, number one, when lots of things happen at once. <laughs> Was that cool the last time? That'd be nice on a day like today, instead of, you know, finding out that Chad and Jeremy guested on the Patty Duke show in 1964. That's thin gruel. (laughs) Number two, events you left early. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I left the Rolling Stones at the old Wembley uh, to try and beat the crowds. <laughs> it was during the encore, and I was there with one of the props guys from TFI. Yeah, yeah. As you do. Uh-huh. And we both looked at each other and we went, they've literally done every song possible. This has got to be the end. Let's sneak out before the crowds. Uh-huh. And as we came round past the big old towers of Wembley, we heard... <laughs> Yeah, that one. Well, but, uh, I've, I've mentioned it many times that on this, um, my good friend uh, Monty Smith used to be at the NME with. Uh, and like many who worked at the NME in the 70s, uh, he didn't care much for music. And, uh, <laughs> and he was sent to uh, review Bonnie Raitt, the great Bonnie Raitt, at the Victoria Palace in London. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Monty's train home to Gillingham, where he lived, left from uh, uh, Victoria Station. And it takes powerful machinery to stop a man getting up from his seat and getting the last train back when Bonnie Raitt has got her slide out. and Fan though he was. So he was reviewing it and thought, that'll do, and he got his last train back to Gillingham and filed his report. I think she was really good, terrific, and all of this. Uh, to make it sound like he'd paid attention, put in a few faults she'd done on the way. Uh, and sure enough, it went out next week in the enemy under Bonnie Raitt at the Victoria Palace. The enemy alone amongst the competition of disc, music, echo, sounds, melody maker, did not notice that Elton John joined her for the last <laughs> half an hour. <laughs> we, he's it's not worthy of comment. Elton John came up at the last half hour, but uh, uh, the enemy thought, no, let's, let's focus on Miss Raitt here. What else are we doing? Number three, bumbling about in the dark. Oh, got a great one on that. And number four, terrifying or weird uncles and aunts. We've got a terrific one on that as well. I'll start... This, this is an absolute top... They're all top of the shop. Without... 
this um, liking us? I don't know how that went. Last week we said it's oh, essential. We cause, we cause confusion. Well, and, uh... we, I mean, we're all a piece here. We asked last week, apparently it's very important that at the Rate end of listening to this Farago, because it, that's how the charts work. Mm. And I mentioned last week, it's Alan Freed all over again. But and then more people see it. And so, anyway... We were a little hangdog, weren't we, and saying, could you do this for us? But nothing like the confusion in the audience who pestered the life out of Phil, saying, how? What are, we, what are we supposed to do? How do you like something? It's not our fault. It got very detailed with, what if I'm on a Samsung and listening <laughs> via And we had absolutely no provider. information to give them back. Nope. Not well, a thing. I know. So. Have a look, see but, what you can find. But this is an absolute pip and a dandy from uh, uh, a friend, Richard. Here we go. It starts to get that again. <clears throat> Don't talk to me about leaving something early. Some time ago, my wife decided to sp- and I decided to spend a cultural evening in London watching that season's smash hit play, The Weir, a tale of supernatural storytelling set in a bar in rural Ireland. OK, so let's get, oh, the, get, the, atmos- let's get the atmosphere of this up. <clears throat> After too many theatrical and cinematic evenings spent simmering and thinking darkly, well, I hope she's enjoying this rubbish, and she thinking, <laughs> I hope he's enjoying this rubbish, only to find out that we'd both silently been echoing each other's resentful thoughts she and I had agreed that if one or the other of us was really fed up, would make it clear and leave, if at all possible, politely, waiting for the information, intermission, if there was one, because we're not animals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On the 20-minute mark, we turned to each other and immediately recognised that look in each other's dimly lit faces. <laughs> I just sit in the pictures. I'm terrible for, you know, not enjoying things in the pictures. And when recognises my... <sighs> She'll look, so give it a chance. And then she'll go, and then she might lean across and go, all right, we'll go, all right. But so, anyway, he'd got that look. Yeah, my, my theatrical sigh is well known in the family. Uh, regrettably, on the way into the, into the auditorium, there had been a sign saying, this performance does not have an intermission. No matter, we were close enough to the end of the show, to the end of our row, that we could make our excuses and leave without inconveniencing too many people. And that's just what we did. As we reached the safety of the safety of the foyer, we saw that it was absolutely bucketing down with rain outside. And of course, I had left our umbrella inside oh. at the seats we'd vacated. Full of righteous fury at the wasted price of two tickets and a babysitter, I resolved to jolly well go back inside and get my umbrella. I tiptoed back in and apologetically wriggled back in past the couple I had wriggled back out of just a minute or two earlier, and I reached for the brolly. It was stuck between the back of the seat and the flipped-up base. (laughs) Grasping the handle, I must have accidentally touched the button that says with a smart click, this is going to open now. There was a muffled thwomp, and the device extended itself to its full length and spread itself out wide in the void below, fixing itself in place as neatly and securely as a well-designed harpoon. Undeterred, I wrestled with the thing, and after what was probably not much more than 30 seconds, I had it under my power, by now subject to the gaze of the audience and the cast alike. Feeling like a piece of cheese, I hemmed and made my way to the exit once again, but reassured by good lady wife that the Jacques Tati-esque struggles uh, with the uncooperative machine had probably brought more joy to people in that room than a thousand performances of that rotten play ever would. There is probably a moral to this story. How about that? The umbrella over the rack. Bravo, my friend. Bravo. That's from our friend Richard. What you got over there, Peps? Well, just before we go to Paul on the line, I've got a Paul on the email. I think they're a different one. Yes. 
Um, you're speaking of old rotten hat. Yeah. Reminds me that the women of my family, or at least my mother and grandmother, would refer to someone unsavoury as Charlie Harry. Did you mm. hear what Charlie Harry down the Rose and Crown got oh. up to? Shocking it was. Was this just my family, or did others say this? There's uh, Charlie Peace, uh, notorious and yeah. now forgotten uh, murderer. I heard people refer to him like Charlie yeah. Peace. He is. This is more me nan. And and forgive me here, old Charlie Greyballs. That was something as well. Yeah. <laughs> Who's him? Old Charlie Grayballs. A, 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 a fellow of over 50 years would often be old Charlie Grayballs. Oh, that one speaks for itself. They, they, I think it might do. Uh, we've got so much to get through. I know, I know. And here we are celebrating the anniversary of the Hydrofall. Who's on the phone, Peps? Paul's on the phone. Hey, Paul. Hi there. How you doing? Couldn't, couldn't be better, Paul. Giving off sparks one way and the other. It's a, it's a very low wattage day in the <laughs> history of the world. Uh, let me give you this, Paul. And, and be honest, you can, you can, don't worry about liking, no, worry about liking the show at the end. Uh, but Christopher Latham Scholes, who I thought might have done Scholes sandals, Paul, it's not. He came up with the QWERTY typewriter in 1819. Do you type? Everyone types these days, don't they, Paul? You type. Huh? I type a little bit, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, my wife, Paul, and we'll get to the res in a minute, she did the Pittman shorthand, she's a speed typist. All that's washed away these days with my Nancy can do more with her thumb than when can, you know, yeah. uh, out of a book. Anyway, Paul, it's not. It's, none of this is your fault. Uh, uh, <laughs> what, what have you called us about? Well, I've been waiting for something to come up that uh, about you bought what, but it's a bit general, this sort of uh, category, but I thought, anyway, <laughs> I'll do it anyway. And it's all oh. about uh, a long time... Well, in the 90s, yeah. um, we decided to take my 14-year-old son to the war graves of northern France. OK, it's very good. Um, he was doing school... He was at school doing history, hmm. and we thought this would be a good thing to do. Absolutely. And we also decided to take my wife's mother and her partner with us as oh, well. Oh. So uh, we booked an apartment in the 2K mm-hmm. and booked the Euro crossing. Oh, so everything's fine. But the trouble is my mother-in-law absolutely terrified of travelling abroad and never been through the tunnel or anything like that. Okay. So okay. it was decided that they would take their own car right. just in case she refused to go on. Oh. Now... So, OK. No, no, it's just the idea of somebody being terrified of going abroad and refusing. I know that that takes me abroad. I'm not doing that. Yeah, go on. Oh. Exactly. So, went through passport control. That's fine. We were ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we came up to customs and we looked behind and, of course, they got pulled over. Mm-hmm. And uh, the car was completely searched and he was a GP, so he had drugs and all sorts of things <laughs> in there. And that made her even more nervous about going through the tunnel. Right. But anyway, we managed to persuade us to go across and we settled into our apartment and everything was fine. So the next day, we all went to the war graves. Now, all the surrounding villages near there, I don't know if you've been there. But no, I haven't, shankly. The, the, the local sort of people set up shops in their front rooms. Oh. And what they do is they sell military memorabilia. Oh, I've heard this, yeah. Knocking yeah. around. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So an, anyway, an old bullet yeah. or a shell casing. Pounds, pounds, pounds. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we popped into one of these uh, so-called shops and had a look around. Um, we all came out, leaving my son in there, uh, waited for him. And he came out clutching a, a paper bag. And um, so, I, you know, I said to him, well, 
Oh, what did you buy some? He said, "Yep." Um, and how he revealed he got the paper bag revealed a hand grenade he bought. Did he? Okay. So, uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. So uh, yeah, we all kind of looked a bit sort of gobsmacked. Uh huh. Uh, and he refused to take it back or, or whatever. He said well, it was quite perfectly right. safe. Perfectly, perfectly yeah, safe yeah, hand grenade bought safe. from yeah, an yeah, unofficial, yeah. unofficial shop of a, tooth, a toothless peasant. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, we went back to the apartment and. Uh, we just didn't know what to do with this grenade. And my mother-in-law was getting more and more anxious mm-hmm. about having this thing uh, in, the, in the flat. And uh, we were wondering how to get back to the UK. Mm-hmm. But the first thing I had to do was to convince them that it was safe. It was perfectly safe. So I had this idea. I said, well, I'm going to pull the pin <laughs> and I'm going to do it in my car. <laughs> now, why I thought, why, why I decided to do that, I have no idea. Uh, so anyway, Listen, I said, Look, it'll, be, it'll, it'll be fine. It will contain. Yeah. It will contain the blast. Yeah, that's why you're doing exactly. it. That's it'll what, only be me. I, I'm trying to convince my mother-in-law. Yeah, there'll be no it'll problem if it does the... go off. Yeah, it it, it won't do any harm. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, the I decided. I went down to my car. Now the. The, the, the flat that we were staying in was our four floors up, and mm-hmm. they could see the car from the street. And so I held the grenade, got in the car. Yeah. And cheery wave. why I did this, I don't know now to this day. No, we're all uh, wondering, yeah. I pulled, the, <laughs> pulled the pin out, opened the car door, and held out the pin and held out the grenade, and they all looked very relieved. <laughs> Fine, that's okay. So... Um, went back to the apartment. We just didn't know what to do with this hand grenade because we knew uh, we got searched on the way over and this could be a problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But we also couldn't... We couldn't throw it away or do anything with no, it. No, the one thing you can't do... It. The one thing not to do with a hand grenade <laughs> is throw it away. You'll find, it, especially in Tesco's, it causes a panic. Yeah. Exactly. We'd, 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 so, anyway, well, we decided, well, the only way is to just put it in the suitcase and keep our fingers crossed. So right. that's fine. So that's what we did. We got we, we, we got back to England and nobody, nobody got searched or anything like that. No. So that went fine. That went fine, but then about a year sort of later, my son said, "Oh, I'm going to sell the hand grenade. I'm going to I'm going to sell it uh, on eBay." And uh, I said, "Are you sure you can do that?" Yeah. And he said, "Yeah, yeah, that, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, I can do that." So yes, he duly put the hand grenade um, on eBay, and uh, it did sell after a, a week or so. And I said, "Oh, I, I, you know, who did you sell it to?" And he said, "I'm not sure, but it was somebody in Northern Ireland." Oh man! And I thought, well, that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, I mean, we're talking about the troubles were just about finishing or just about mm. the end. Mm-hmm. And he sells a hand grenade to someone in Northern Ireland. Earlier on, we, we, we heard uh, about a fellow who was beaten to death with his own wooden leg, and that was in Ireland too. <laughs> so the, 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 when you say so, that, you know, the history is, is replete. So, uh, and, and did, did, did your mother-in-law ever get over a phobia of abroad? <laughs> No, she'd never been abroad since. No. Full never of hand grenades. No. So that, that, that's about it, really. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. but the hand, back, the hand grenade thing, that you heard no more about it, yeah? No. The only thing is that he did get people uh, giving him advice on the hand grenade to say it was a bit of a mongrel because it was the, the bottom half of the French oh. grenade oh. and the top half of the Canadian He's been grenade had. or something like that. Yeah. The pin was from somewhere else. You see, you see, but that you, was a bit of a dis- You hear all this um, bad press about the people over in uh, sort of Cairo in the, in the in the bazaars and souks. And I've been to Marrakesh <laughs> where, uh, you know, only when I got home I found out there is only one alien Rolex. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> 
but, this, but this hand grenade. Uh, oh, hang on, we, we've got a we've got a correspondent from um from uh, Northern Ireland on the phone. Now, of course, I'm going to ask him. Uh, what, what can you tell us, my friend? I get the idea. Okay, um, so but that, that's a tremendous story from Paul, an absolute pip and a dandy. Thank mm-hmm. you very much indeed, Paul. And it, 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 a, thank you, Paul. There were so many elements in that. Um, the, the the paranoia of abroad. Which but, she was right to do. She if she'd right. watched her son-in-law blow up in a car on a side road in France, she'd I, have I, felt I thought that was really... very very big of him. I'll go and pull the pin, but I'll get in the car downstairs to oh, contain the blast. <laughs> I mean, people who know my shows and books will now say, "Go on then, off with your hand grenade stories." Because I've got, I've, I have, I've got. He and I. When did we get the old hand grenade society together? Uh, over these years together, I dare say we will get those trotted out too. What you got there, Peps? Well, now this is from Graham, who requested I read this. But I think it's so that you can go off into a reverie, which you wouldn't get if you were reading it People are requesting who reads what. (laughs) I know. We are the presenters. You are the audience. We outrank you. I shouldn't have have said that, actually. It's going to start a a fuffle. (laughs) I grew up at school, but this is perks of your parents' job. I grew up at school, the envy of my school friends, because my dad had his own sweet factory. Oh... He was Willy Wonka. In the 1970s, not far from you, Danny, in Forest Hill. You wouldn't know it was there. It was tucked away in a corner behind rows and rows of terraced houses, except, of course, for the smell of rose and lemon Turkish delight Turkish wafting delight. across the skies of south-east London mm-hmm. and the trail of icing sugar that snaked out of the factory doors at the end of the shifts when lovely ladies with names like Mabel, Beryl and Peggy traipsed out with a roll-up fag in the corner of their mouths off for a port and lemon. Isn't it beautiful? If you've ever had an individual shrink wrap piece of Turkish delight in a Woolworths pick and mix, you had some of my dad's stuff. Oh. And if Harrods only knew their bespoke Christmas delicacy really originated from Forest Hill, <laughs> and definitely not the eastern beauty of Istanbul. Dad used to take me in during the school holidays and I would pick a lucky friend and we would spend whole days making camps in not yet made up boxes, driving the forklift trucks. Oh, that's now that would be a dream realised. Uh, I... I Driving a forklift truck, and I must say, I gave this away rather. Sorry, interrupt. Mm. Uh, uh, when I was on the tour once, they were taking down scenery, not from ours, and there was a. I'll be honest with you, a very attractive woman driving a forklift truck. Now, there was two things that had brought my life into sharp focus, <laughs> and I said rather too loudly, nothing. You know, puts me over the edge than seeing a good-looking woman on on a heavy piece of plant, and everyone went, well, "What?" I said, I, I, did, "I said that out loud, did I?" <laughs> but my obsession's there. Yeah, go on. <laughs> uh, so, Graham, where was he? Driving a forklift truck, annoying the ladies, and snaffling as much Turkish delight as our hand, little hands could handle. I don't know how we came away from there without being sick. Oh. However, the factory closed down many years ago. Oh. But I was the kid with the coolest dad. I'm a dad with my kids of my own now. What do I do for work? Well, after years of working in UK theme parks, as long, along with the unlimited Ooh. free access, I now swan around working in theme parks and water parks in wow. Abu Dhabi. 
No! Ask him who won the Abu Dhabi. I never found out. Go on. <laughs> I spend a bit of time working with Ferrari cars, and now oh. I work with the Flintstones, Tom and Jerry, Scooby-Doo, Batman and all the Warner Brothers gang. My kids are pretty happy with this arrangement, especially with free access continuing and friends and contacts at other parks all over the world. At 52, I'll maybe grow up one day. That is, mate. And, mate, do you think that he was driven by that, the idea in his childhood mm. he had access to a sweet factory? Now, I have no sweet factory. Got to factory, upgrade. But I've got to do something for my could say. <gasps> On the other end of the scale, if you will, if, if Stephen doesn't mind here. Good and bad, your parents' job. My dad was a policeman in the east end of Glasgow, late 70s to early 2000s. There were some downsides. My mum constantly telling me I could not get into trouble in case it reflected <laughs> badly on my dad. The guys in the local shop calling me Young Sid after the character in the Beezer. <laughs> and finally being bullied by my geography teacher during the 1980s minor strike because my dad was a policeman. Oh, oh OK. See, this, people think this show is just all froth. There's hard-hitting news there. Uh, oh, it's over, isn't it, the minor strike? Anyway, um, uh, now for the pluses. Getting escorted, looking sad and lost, through the police gate at Celtic Park to watch Celtic games. <laughs> I also got free entry to concerts like Paul McCartney. My dad worked in the crowd control at the gig. And most importantly for my teenage cred, I seem to acquire a small collections of rifles. Mainly air pistols, uh, a GAT, a Webley pistol, those sort of things. A Webley Vulcan air rifle and a Daisy BB rifle. All confiscated from ne'er-do-wells in the east end of Glasgow. And it's all brought them home for him. <laughs> so that could go on anymore. I'm saying we're finding out there's, a, there's a hidden arsenal in, in, in England, uh, certainly in Britain, I do apologise. There's a hidden arsenal in, in the countries around variously where you're listening to me, uh, but there's a, a, a and we've got the hand grenade. Now we've got those. I will bring in one day my um, no, not Your a hand grenade. No, no, my my <laughs> husband's late grandfather uh, grew up in Glasgow, yeah. and his father was a police officer. But we're talking when Granddad died; he was in his nineties. And his dad was a police officer in, I think, the East End of Glasgow in around sort of 1920 and stuff. And he wrote his memoirs. But some of the stories in there was that... Your granddad wrote a memoir? Uh, my husband's granddad, yeah. He wrote his own little memoirs, just printed them out for the family. Oh. And one of the stories in there about the fact that if... He, they lived next door to the police station. And if the police station was shut, they would just come and knock on their front door if someone had a problem. And if his dad was out, his mum would arrest them. No, she had the... She bell. just acted as <laughs> in loco whatever, as the policeman, and would handcuff oh. them to the to the handrail inside the, the close or the tenement until the husband came home to properly arrest them. Louise, Papa Napoleon, that. that is... That's an yeah, astounding story. I'll bring story. them in. I will bring in size granddad's stories. My ass, Is he in? No. Well, can you arrest him? Yeah, all right. Yeah, I'm sure he ran a Jolly Garners. Anyone knocks at the door, nick him. <laughs> what a what a boon. Yeah. That is a boon. Uh, how about this? This is um. Let me find my sense of wonder. Famous clothing I have worn. Ooh. If. if by some, you know, chance this is the first you've heard of these. This uh, might have been episode one. This is, I think it was. Go back through, you know, I think they're listed on one of the site pages. All the subjects remain open, mm. thank God. Uh, and if you listen to an old one right now, no, you can't be listening to an old one right now, can you? Because you're listening to this one. But this will be the old one. Ah. Hang on, I'm starting to talk like uh, <laughs> I'm on top of a mountain in Tibet. <laughs> uh, here we go. Um, <laughs> Colin. Famous clothing I've worn. As a nine-year-old in 1971, I was visiting my grandparents in Elmer's End. My old nan was a Savile Row seamstress who worked from home and would frequently be working when we went to see her. 
Her speciality was making trousers. She was just finishing a Tweedy pair, and for fun, I suggested I try them on. Even then, I was a tall lad, and when I pulled them on, the waistband of the trues only came up a few inches above my waist. She then told me, those are destined for Matt Monroe. <gasps> Matt Monroe. In the past, she had also made things for other celebs, including a rush order of 22 pairs of trousers for Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Well, he might be like Jerry Lewis, um, who only wore a pair of socks once and threw them away. You couldn't wear a pair of trousers once and throw them away, not even Frank. And and Frank wasn't, you know, your Tom Jones sort of... Wear them, in, giving it, wear them out know, from the big, inside thing. Yeah. Uh, oh, she made 20 cheeses. Why would yeah. they lie? Uh, and between World War, uh, between the World Wars... I don't know if this is going And between the World Wars, some ceremonial breaches, complete with gold braid for Kaiser Wilhelm. <gasps> He was living in Holland then between the wars. That's where he was exiled to, chopping wood uh, with a very wry beard. Um, and some gold-braided britches. Gold-braided britches. For co- Imagine your nan could say, I have a connection with Matt Monroe, Sinatra, by extension, and Kaiser Wilhelm. <laughs> Nobody else's nan, I don't think, has uh, ever had a connection with a, a European world leader. Yes, I can, yeah, that phrase works. Give us something from there, perhaps. I'm going to give a quick one from Gary, and then we've got Peter on the line. This is Gary. Oh, no, hold on there. I'll tell you what, hold on there. Uh, uh, a handbag. Yeah, I'm not sure what this ad's going to be, but it could be for handbags. Stay tuned. We're back. Lovely. Uh, and I enjoyed that. So, so, go on. Quick one from Gary in Richmond. I'm shoehorning this story into poshest thing. <laughs> Living in Paris, a friend got me an interview at a prestigious Manhattan-based firm, and they would pay for the club-class flights for me. Luckily at the time, British Airways had a special offer. If you flew club-class from Paris to New York via London, they would upgrade you to Concorde. I left Paris early, taking my suit and shirt with me in a suit cover, connected in London to Concorde, leaving at 11am and arriving in New York at 9am. I got to the offices in plenty of time to change out of my jeans into my suit. On opening my suit cover, I discovered I had mistakenly picked up my DJ. Ah. Complete with sparkly lapels and a wing-collared shirt. I had no alternative but to change into this for my interview. I didn't get the job. My friend told me later the interviewer had a slight prejudice against Brits, assuming them to be snobbish and posh. (laughs) He now had a story of a British candidate who'd flown over on Concord and wore full evening dress. (laughs) He should have carried it off. He should have walked in there and said, now, don't keep this long, would you? uh, My good man. uh, Exactly. My horses are outside. They need to be watered and fed. So what is it? What is this position? How much are you paying me? And then that's the kind of intimidation you want, isn't it? Listen, uh, let's let's skip all the formalities about uh, experience and uh, what would I see myself in five years' time. Let's just uh, put our cards on the table, shall we? Um, what's your club? Where do you club, sir? <laughs> <laughs> you look like the Athenaeum, am I right? I thought so. When do I start? <laughs> uh, who have we got on the line got there, Pat? Peter. Hey, Peter. Morning, Danny. Morning, Lee. Uh, Morning. Peter, uh, so, uh, uh, Peter did, did you have a nickname when you were younger? Oh, you might even have one now. Uh, probably Peanut, I think. Well, you're called Peanut? Yeah. I had a great friend called Danny Hodges. Uh, he never he won't thank me for after all these years reminding people. Uh, he was Peanut. Why were you Peanut? I think derivation of Peter, probably, by That's... my mum. That seems a bit thin. So Peanut could have gone anywhere. I can think of a worse one you could have had if you were just going down that route, but... Uh, well, yeah. My sister called me Pee-wee, so that was even worse. I've not heard of Peter being uh, you know, abused like that. Peanut head, because his head looked like a peanut. 
uh, 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 it did. Honestly, when you put a hat on, if it weren't for the shoes at the bottom, you wouldn't know anyone was in there. Uh, but uh, uh, so, so, Peter, uh, why, why are you tugging our coat? Uh, well, I was driving home listening to the podcast last week, and mm-hmm. uh, Thank you. you had the, the chap on talking about the chocolate factory. And, well, yeah, we just had a, we had one mm. just a moment ago. Yeah. Ah, and uh, it reminded me of uh, that in the 1970s, my dad worked for Unigate, and, and oh. it's an idol brand of cheeses and desserts. And yeah, absolutely. Like yes. I well, didn't. I didn't know that Unigate was the uh, uh, the union of two massive un. I think of un- United Dairies and Cowan Gate. And that's oh. Unigate. How about that? That's why Unigate that were. United Dairies and Cowan Gate got together. Unigate. What a powerhouse they were. What did your old man do? Did he go out on the round or uh, office job? Uh, it was mainly sales and an office job. But oh, uh, we, okay. we never we never wanted for cheese. No, no. We, you know, there, was, there was cheese in the house. There was if, cream in the house all if, the time. If I had married into your family, let's say you and I, <laughs> and don't talk like that, you and I had uh, formed a union, we would never have gone hungry because my mum uh, worked in on the phones in Peak Friends, the biscuit factory, and on the production line. Peak Friends biscuits plus cheese. Hello, Easy Street. Uh, so, okay, well, so what can you tell us about this? So, yeah, I've just said, we, we, we know, I don't think we ever bought cheese in the 70s. And we no. had so much cream in the house. My sister would have um, chocolate cake and cream for uh, penguins and cream oh, for breakfast oh, every day. Penguins mm-hmm. and cream for Pengu- breakfast? Of course, penguins yeah. and cream. Lucky to get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, go on. And uh, I can remember we had a um, fridge freezer in the cupboard and on top of it, most of the time, was a whole Stilton. Uh, oh, a whole thing. Uh, because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm now looking at Peps, of course, because uh, she was talking about fridge freezers. Yours was in the cupboard, was it? Yeah, it was a 1960s-style house that had a cupboard, which I think was meant to be a larder. And, and, and uh, I think we took all the shelves out and put the fridge freezer in it. And where was the Stilton? Sitting on top of the fridge freezer. Let me, no, no, here we go, here we go. That's for the Stilton. <laughs> That goes for the Stilton, my friend. Yeah. Okay. So we get the we've got the layout of the house. What's the deal? Well, uh, and the Stilton, if it was, it would just sit there and just get more and more ripe. And I can remember at one stage they were having to get a spoon to get it out of the middle, just mm. scoop it out on, mm. on the spoon. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I have just a really one very vivid memory of uh, coming home from school on Friday, yeah. and there was this um, Unigate refrigerated lorry on the road outside the house. Okay. And, and it was at that point I found out that my dad could drive trucks. I didn't know that before then. He could what? He could drive trucks. He oh, was, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, oh, wow, okay, yeah. And what was happening was it was Friday. They didn't deliver on a Saturday. Shops weren't open on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. So any stuff that was going to go out of date in the next week or so was on the back of the truck. Oh. And we just had a queue of half the street. It was literally it, it was straight was off the back of a lorry. They were selling from the back of the lorry all the produce. It was, uh, it, no, he wasn't even selling. We were just giving it away. Giving it, it away? There's giving away it away. Cheese and yogurts oh. and, you know... Uh, I, can, I, can, I can hear the ghost of my old man now saying, giving it away? <laughs> Uh, uh, But uh, uh, that is very social of him, uh, because that that simply wouldn't have happened. There'd been barter, at least. Uh, And uh, this was a regular thing or just a one-off? 
it was just a one-off. It was just that one one week where we were probably the, oh, the most lovely. liked people in the street. Yeah. Oh. oh. And that the one week... What a beautiful opening of a short story. There was that one weekend when we were the most popular people in the street. <laughs> That's such a beautiful story. Uh, uh, you, you, you yourself, you didn't go into the uh, dairy business, I take it? Uh, no, actually, uh, there was so much cream and cheese around the house, I didn't like it for years, and I do oh. now. But yeah. for years, it's like, oh, I don't want any more cream. But that, that, yeah, we would have we've a discovered this a lot. And custard on a Sunday, and we'd always put cream on top of it. And I, I just got sick of cream for a while. Uh, at the um, uh, the little tins of carnation, which I think you can mm. st- you can still mm. get. Uh, we had uh, the, and we said the other week, didn't we, Peps? The evaporated, the sterilised, yes. and all of this. I'd evaporated milk with a flan when made last week. Mm. Uh, that was pretty pretty good. Oh, that pretty did look sweet. good. Thank you very much indeed, our friend. There, bringing us a beautiful story of the weekend. We were the most popular <laughs> family in the street. Isn't that lovely? By the way, him selling out the back of the lorry there in our previous call, mm. uh, we must do next week funny old shops. Oh, yes. Been done old well, because everything I give and I give, I've seen Dear. elsewhere. Disparate items, Peps. Shops yes. that sell disparate items. Yes, yes, yes. Always. I've done that a few times. The best ever was a shop in Norfolk. Somebody told us about. And I, I cannot. Because I live near a shop that sold the top 20 and a few albums and wool. It was mainly a wool shop, yeah. Wool. wool. It, was, it was a knitting shop, but they had a couple of racks of LPs and they sold the top 20 in there as well. <laughs> I know. Disparate shops. But the most we ever had was Norfolk and uh, a couple of calls about it. None more disparate than it sold shellfish and suits of armour. <laughs> Shellfish and suits. So, uh, anyone who wants to get in on, uh, we'll do that on the next one. Uh, funny old shops incorporating disparate items. What you got there, Peps? This is from Darren. Um, this is from a few weeks back. Not your usual tale of being drunk. No. Back in the late 80s, I worked for one of many custom clearance agencies in Dover Docks mm-hmm. that involved a lot of shift work. One of the busiest shifts was a Friday night that didn't normally end until about 11 o'clock, by which time pubs were closing, and the best option was Images, the only nightclub in town. But we came up with an alternative. If you gathered up a load of co-workers, you could head to the C-Link ticket office and for a couple of quid, you could purchase a non-lander ticket. (laughs) This meant you could get on a ferry but not get off in Calais. (laughs) We'd jump on board, go straight to Duty Free, purchase several cases of lager and go up to the disco. Of course the ferry had a disco. It was a jukebox and so was a load of plastic furniture. (laughs) There was quite an eclectic crowd of shift workers, holidaying families, lorry drivers and those who missed the last train home and wanted somewhere warm. (laughs) Once we reached Calais, the regular passengers would disembark, we'd wave them off from deck, greet our new bunch of shipmates and disco back to Dover. The non-landers were also a great initiation for any new recruits. On the first week, we'd take them to the ferry office and for a few quid, a stevie door would wrap them in shrink wrap, sling them over their shoulder and take them on board and set sail for Calais. What? The, uh, This is for the new... What do you call it? The, 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 the initiation. Yeah, initiation. Um, we see them find... people, people not uh, not a, a mile from here paying good money for that sort of service. <laughs> uh, go on. They'd come back five hours later a little bewildered, and I always wondered what they said when their parents asked how their new job was going. I've seen the people on the ferries who don't get off though. <laughs> quite often, That's without quite uh, making it sound so old-fashioned, that the uh, they sometimes are not too bothered husbands about the selections of brie and even the wine available. Go on, I'll be here. Then they go backwards and forwards. <laughs> so they get a call saying, we're joining it now. Uh, thank you very much indeed. But this is from Julian. Only our family did it, he says. We haven't asked for this, but that's fine. 
apropos of nothing, seems that in generally in keeping with the spirit of the show. Thank you. When I was little, each year we used to go on holiday to Selsey in Sussex, where Patrick Moore lived. <laughs> What if he's on the twirly rack of postcards? Patrick Moore in Chelsea. <laughs> on our way down there, it was the law in the car that if you saw a moving haystack or a farm vehicle loaded with hay or straw, you had to keep your fingers crossed until you saw a dog or it was bad luck. I've no idea where this came from and I've never heard of anyone else doing it. I'm sure other tree houses had their own variations. Uh, we have done before. Um, yes, you had to hold Julian. your collar, didn't you? That, that, that was a similar one. These are superstitions mm. only you seem to indulge in. But that was me, Dad, again. He told me two terrible things when I was about six. It walked along the. Uh, we walked along Rotherham Avenue Road. Never forget. And a street light went out as we walked. He went, oh, no, oh, leave! Oh. I said, what? I said, didn't make the, didn't darken the street or anything. One of many. <laughs> oh, never see a street light go out, boy. I said, why? He said, it means there's going to be a death in the family. Oh God! And sure enough, 40 years later, <laughs> my uncle Charlie. But yeah, and the other one was he left me with this blight, which I still hold. Ever see an ambulance? It's bad luck. The only way you can get rid of it, hold your collar till you see a four-legged animal. <laughs> if you ever see me walking around, Peps, like this, then <laughs> for, for the love of God, push a pig into the room so it can release <laughs> me. Uh, yeah, the old man. Oh, don't watch a light go out, boy. Death in the family. Uh, what do you think there, Peps? What you got? I, I, uh, this, is, uh, this is another old one from uh, the past. This is relatives of players in the crowd. He says, on the subject, we must have mentioned this at some point. This is from David. <laughs> this is from the early 90s. My dad was a fairly decent non-league footballer and after oh. he retired would drag me to various games. One Saturday, we were at our local club, Whitley Bay. As always, my dad spotted an ex-teammate and we wandered over for a chat. And it was raining quite heavily, so we huddled under the main stand behind the dugouts next to a rather pretty young lady with a dog. Oh. My old man was never a shouter, but he did like to chat through a match and wasn't afraid to give his opinion. Up front for the Bay in those days were Jared Suddick, son of a fairly decent-ish ex-Newcastle United player, Alan Suddick. Oh, yeah. It's fair to say my dad took an instant dislike to Jared. He hated his hair. He hated how his socks weren't pulled up properly. Yeah. His shirt was untucked. Yeah. Oh, he let myself and his ex-teammate know all this while smiling nicely at the girl next to him, making sure he wasn't swearing with a lady's present. Oh. As the half goes on, my dad's verbal assaults on poor Jared kept going, oh, he's hopeless. Is he definitely Alan's son? He's soft as Clark's. He couldn't hit a donkey's ass with a banjo. On and on <laughs> and on. Second half, Jared didn't come back out and he'd been subbed. Thank Christ for that, said Dad. He's garbage. Fifteen minutes later, a freshly showered and suited Jared Suddick comes limping in our direction straight towards us. Oh no, says Dad. As someone grasped us up, as he got closer and closer... He then gave a warm kiss and a hello, babe, to the girl next to us. Oh, man. Yes, my dad had spent 45 minutes That's... slagging off Jared Suddick next to his girlfriend and his dog. What? Silence. Uh... Fancy a pie, Dad said. I've already had one. We're having another, another one, one, said Dad. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, you see, I'd, I'd have had a lot more time for the missus there if she'd have nudged him. I mean, you ain't wrong. <laughs> That, 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 anyway, we seem to be once again running over time, to say the least. Uh, our friend James has come up with a great idea for the honorary saps. Oh, that's Almost saps. like a blue, the blue plaque. We're going to get on top of all this, including the sausage sandwich game, believe it or not. It's on its way back. Uh, but thank you very much indeed on the other side of the table. Louise Pepper co-hosting the show uh, through the glass. It's Phil Wilding and Josh on behalf of something else. Uh, who, uh, if you can look online, you can always get the emails to us and phone numbers and all of that. And... <laughs> And the main thing is... 
Good morning, everybody. It's the Danny Baker Show, radiating out across the airwaves. Come the sunshine or the rain, come aboard the Danny train. We'll kick our slippers off and throw our cares away. What better thing to do than have a jolly jape or two? Don't touch that dial, there's nowhere else to go. Come and join a happy session, wave ta-ta to the recession on the Danny Baker Show. Take it away, Danny. Duck! It's warm inside, we guarantee you'll be satisfied as we laugh the day away in the treehouse. Take it away, Danny! Always do, Wisby. Uh, thank you to all the correspondents. I'm sorry we haven't got round to it. We will, we will, we will. This mile high, mile high pile at the side of me will be worked through if you go through the years together. <laughs> There's a prospect, eh? Because as always, it's chiefly yourselves. Next time on The Treehouse, most peculiar thing you've seen in a theatre or cinema, riding in an unconventional vehicle and funny old shops. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.